What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Free FM. CNBC. Inflation came in super hot again for December. Up 7% year over year, the hottest since 1982 in the latest Consumer Price Index report. But economists expected that, and they say the inflation peak may be near because the Fed will be making some moves to fight it. Higher prices played a role in online sales, hitting a record $204 billion over the holidays. This according to Adobe Analytics. Bitcoin had fallen below 40000 yesterday. Today, it's higher above 43000 as cryptos may a comeback. McDonald's potato shortage, thankfully, is only being felt in Japan. There's no French fry shortage in the U.S. Lumber prices back up to the highs they hit last June, making new homes even more expensive if you're trying to buy new construction. And fear of even higher mortgage rates may be heating up the winter home buying market. Jessica Edinger, CNN. Yes, Ms. Tubbs. Uh, no problem. I'll call someone about the plumbing. One of Beatrice's properties needs a new superintendent. Someone with handyman superpowers and a concierge alter ego. Does anyone know any good electricians near Parkville? Indeed can help her hire great people fast. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. Instant Match instantly connects you with quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your sponsored job description. Visit Indeed.com slash credit and get $75 towards your first sponsored job. Terms and conditions apply. Why does Walgreens offer copays as low as $0 and 90-day refills? Because we care about Medicare, so you don't have to. I mean, do you really care to hear me go on about prescription delivery options making your life easier? Or how there's a pharmacy expert available 24-7 and one-click refills? Well, I just did anyways. Fill your Medicare prescriptions with Walgreens and save. $0 copays apply to Tier 1 generic drugs and select plans with Walgreens as a preferred pharmacy. Restrictions apply. See Walgreens.com slash Medicare for complete details. K-C-A-A And now it's time for a brand new show on KCAA, The Uncommon Sense Democrat, with your host, Eric Bauman, a show about politics and contemporary issues. And now, here's Eric Bauman. Well, good afternoon.
Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you can hear me, but there seems to be uh, there seems to be some strange music playing. I think we've been invaded by the Trumpsters, and uh, <laughs> they're trying they're 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 just trying to ruin my show. Um, I want to welcome you all again. This is Eric Bauman, host of the Uncommon Sense Democrat, right here on NBC Radio KCAA. And even though my intro says I'm a brand new show, I've been a brand new show for almost two years now. Um, I just have been moved to a new time slot. Uh, well, to a second time slot, because I'm on every every Wednesday from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. And now I'm joining you all at noon. Today we have a uh, an interesting noon hour. Um, we have the... Uh, trio of the fiercest political women uh, on earth, I think. Um, you know, <laughs> we have, uh, at least in yeah, California. Right? We, have, we, have, right. so we have political consultant Maureen Irwin and political consultant Georgine Trujillo and Glendale College Associate Professor Rona Blaker. And we're going to talk about a wide range of things, none of which I have any idea about. Um, because I'm still not used to the 12 noon hour and my level of preparation's not as sharp as it should be. And I blame that on, uh, on my 12 noon engineer, Sam. He didn't, uh, he didn't give me a wake up reminder this morning. I don't know. Um, welcome, Sam. Good to be with you for the second week. So let, let's just kind of begin with last week rather than this week. Last Thursday was the um, one-year anniversary of Donald Trump's um, insurrection on the Capitol, where several thousand, if not more than that, um, Trump acolytes stormed the Capitol in hopes of shutting down the count of the Electoral College votes that they knew very well were going to declare. Joe Biden the winner. And um, President Biden has been very careful over the last year. He has never or almost never referred to Trump by his name. He's always referred to him as the former guy. But at the celebration, I don't know if that's the right word, the commemoration of the January 6th insurrection and the five people who were killed, 140 police officers who were injured. Um, President Biden gave a speech that was perhaps the boldest, uh, most most extraordinary, most angry um, any of us have heard him give. And he talked about Trump's attempt to steal American democracy away. So that's where we start. But I want to ask my guests, it's a year later, what do we know, what do we think, and what do we feel? So what have we learned until now about the January 6th insurrection? And I'll start with, um, I will start with Maureen who, and ladies and gentlemen, I tend to refer to her as Mo, so don't think there's actually a a fourth guest that you 
not sure, and Curly and Howard, uh, Curly Howard and uh, uh, Larry Fine were not invited. We just have Mo Irwin as a substitute for Mo Howard. Um, anyway, Mo, what what do we know? What have we learned in the last year? What what has the last year taught us about the insurrection? Yeah, I think the most, well, let's start off with, with the day itself. I mean, it sort of it happened right in front of us. Uh, a lot of us were watching TV. We saw it unfold. Um, the the calls for this action were all over social media. It was absolutely uh, not a secret what these folks were doing. It was unfortunately not a surprise to see it happen, um, given everything going on leading up to that. The big lie, the claims that the election was stolen, you know, Trump advertising the state, all of this organizing that went on. We've learned now, uh, or we're learning now, you know, or getting closer to understanding to what degree different members of Congress may have been involved in planning it. But I would say the, the biggest thing we've learned since then is that this effort has gone local. So instead of having one big, you know, uh, insurrection and rebellion in one place, what we're seeing now is a lot of these same folks taking protests, not necessarily violent and, and storming, but there is sometimes violence going to school boards, going to public meetings, uh, protesting masks, um, making trouble on a local level um, around these same issues. So I think what we're seeing is that that movement has continued. It's just happening in a dispersed manner, but um, we're seeing it you know, continue. That's, that's my main take. Right. So, Georgine, let me ask you. Now, now, Mo told us a bit about what we know. What would you say the American public thinks at this um, at this point? You know, uh, from from your perspective, what what is the what is the public thinking about this? I I I don't know if the public, except for those that follow politics you know, staunchly really care anymore. I think they've moved on. That's the scary part in my mind is that, you know, I know that it's on CNN and I know it's on, you know, all the, the, the news stuff, the, the continual loop of talking about it. But at this point, I mean, I saw a poll recently, right, that showed that, well, well you shared it. It was that Washington Post poll, what, that showed that most people um, don't blame Trump for it that, you know, a small margin do, but the majority don't, and that they do think people need to be held responsible for it. But other than that, they've kind of moved on. And that's the part that we as Americans need to be concerned about, is that to assume that it's over and that we're with this new administration and the past is the past, I think is, is faulty. Um, I think we can't go back to sleep. We have to stay on alert. You know, I have to tell you, I and I have to disagree with you. Um, I don't remember right off the top of my head because I don't have that one in front of me what the Washington Post poll showed. But the Associated Press poll that came out, oh, I don't know, four or five days ago, um, defined 60, almost 60 percent of Americans wanting this investigation to go on, wanting to know what the bottom line was. And just this morning, the Politico morning consult poll came out 
and it had similar numbers. And it, it, I, it came out, and it's funny because I was having an argument with one of my guests who's going to be on this afternoon about this very thing, about whether people care or not. And it seems to me like they care more than than we realize. I'm trying to find the, um, the question... Um, I'm trying to find the question from the morning consult political poll because that one I have right here. And um, yeah, but Eric, uh, let me interject. Wanting to know who caused it is one thing. Assuming that it's in the rearview mirror is a different discussion. You know what I'm saying? So, like, wanting to know that doesn't surprise me. And I mean, of course, but I mean, it was on the what the the officer that that that. Um, fought back was on the cover of time. Something just disappeared from the American mindset. But as far as whether it's, it's something we have to think about going forward as a, as a, as a potential threat in the future, I, I don't think Americans really think that this is going to happen again. Well, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's true, but I will tell you this. There are only a third of Americans, which coincidentally are the same third of Americans who believe that Donald Trump is actually the president of the United States. There are a third of Americans who um, don't care about any of this, and they think it's all just a Democratic plot. And in fact, they think that it was a, a Democratic or an FBI or a, an Antifa plot for, for, for the whole thing in the first place. Um, but... It, it seems that there's far more Americans who do actually care about it. Now, whether or not it's going to be the decisive the decisive issue in how they vote for Congress next year or who they vote for president for in 2024, um, that may be a different matter. But I, I, I think that uh, as, as, as the January 6th committee comes out with more and more stuff, um, and and some of it, you know, it's coming from his people. That I mean, that's the part right now that's so amazing. And we can get into that in a, in a bit, even I don't think it's one of our topics, but I can say it's worth it. Um, bottom line is, I think this has to be pursued. I don't know that it, 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 it wouldn't matter, I don't think, if we had photo finish documentation to prove that Biden actually won, I think there are a core of Trump supporters who will always believe he won the presidency, not the least of whom are the Q, uh, QAnon members who are absolutely fixated on the fact that Trump was put here on earth to uh, get all of the pedophiles out of the uh, um, the white out of the Washington D.C. Except that, of course, how do they explain that there are pictures of him with uh, Jeffrey Epstein? And well, that's a whole other conversation. All right, Rona, let me ask you a question. Yeah. How do how do we feel? What what is your perception of how we Americans, Californians in particular, how do we feel about what happened on January sixth a year ago? And about what's happened over the last year. Well, I continue to feel very angry and upset and worried about it. 
I agree with Georgine, though, that I don't think a lot of people are paying the amount of attention that should be paid to what happened. I feel like it's very dangerous, and it happened right in front of us. There's nothing that needs to be proven. As, as Maureen was saying, I remember sitting in front of the TV and watching it unfold, and even before people started storming the Capitol, just listening to President Trump, I turned to my husband and I said, this is going to get ugly. Look at what he's saying and doing. And I think I even used the word inciting. So it's not that we need proof for what happened. We all saw it happen. But what what feels uh, scary to me is that the former president is still going on the media and calling it a rigged election. He, he was on NPR two days ago and said, use that word over and over and over again. And that's what's frightening to me because it's setting... It's setting people up for 2022 and 2024, and that's how propaganda works. If you say things enough times, people begin to believe it. And I, I think the good news is that is that none of the mainstream media channels, only two of the cable channels, and this one brief NPR interview that he hung the phone up on the uh, – on the questioner, as soon as he started asking him questions he didn't want to answer, um, <clears throat> classic Trump. Nobody is broadcasting what Trump is saying. He doesn't get to go on CNN. He doesn't get to go on MSNBC or CBS or NBC or ABC because none of them want him. They don't want his lies. They don't want his nonsense. He gets to go on Fox and he gets to go on OAN, and that's where he gets to go. And on the NPR interview, he had a he had a hissy fit in the middle of it when the guy had the audacity to ask him a question that he didn't like because it was a question that put him in bad light. So, um, um, and because he doesn't have access to Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, um, you know, the people that he can reach on Parler. Uh, or any of these new services um, that are right-wing services, you know, they're the people who already are 150% for him anyway. And as to his own new venture that caused California to, to and I want everybody to go, uh, caused us to lose Devin Nunez as a member, Nunez as a member of our <laughs> congressional delegation. Remember, that's the time to do it. You can go, aw. Oh, um, poor little Devin. <laughs> <laughs> well, poor Devin. We lost poor Devin. And we lost, but you know what? His cow still exists on Twitter. Devin's Devin cow is still there on Twitter. Um, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you in the audience who don't know why I made the reference to Devin's cow, uh, Devin Nunez's family were, were our uh, dairy farmers. And, um, for many years, they had a dairy ranch in the Central Valley, which is now in, I don't know, North Carolina or someplace like that. Um, and he he was giving campaign speeches in his last re-election bid two years ago, talking about life being a Central Valley dairy, dairy farmer. So somebody created a site called Devin Nunes' Cow. And Devin Nunez's cow used to mock him every time he said he was a dairy farmer, every time he said this. He said, yeah, he lives in Washington. His farm is in, you know, North Carolina or wherever it is. 
And so Devin Nunes' skin, which is almost as thin as Donald Trump's, he sued to try to shut down Devin Nunes' cow. Well, the judges and the appellate court, conservative courts, mind you, ruled that uh, Devin Nunes' cow has a piece of peace speech. Well, anyway, so... so well, you know, he, you know what happened left... with that, Eric? You know what happened with that, Eric? What was funny is I remember that account. Uh, it's still active. It's, it's Devin Cow on Twitter. And in the little bio section, it says, hanging out on the dairy in Iowa, looking for the little trees in his cow post. Um, what happened is, <laughs> Uh, apparently, Devin Nunes got really angry at this account that had, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred followers, maybe a thousand. And uh, what happened is once he called this this account out, there was this massive effort to get people to follow this account to have more followers than him. So it now has over you know, 770,000 followers. Just as a, holy, a holy day, 770,000 followers. I don't know any other cow that has that many followers. Okay, not even Elsie the cow. Not even Elsie the cow has that many. <laughs> well, look, look, well, look it, kind of then it, then it started. It spawned all these. It spawned all these other accounts, like you know, Devin Devin Nunez uncle, Devin Nunez's cow's mullet, you know, Devin Nunez's everything, you know, and it just became this this really funny thing. So it, it's one of those things where you know, uh, be careful what you ask for. Exactly. So for those. For the, fo- for, for, the, for the folks in our audience, um, Trump started or is trying to start up his own social media, uh, Twitter-style social media um, operation. So he hired Devin Nunes to be the CEO of this operation, and um, and he uh how can i put this he 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 let he resigned from congress to go and do this to to run this imaginary um social media outlet where in order for you to sign up for it um in order for you to sign up for it you have to one attest that you will not attack donald trump or any of trump's enterprises and two, that you will not attack the platform. So this is, you know, this is really a high-end operation. What, you know, what uh, my folks in uh, New York City is called, hey, this is a big-time operation. The only thing it is is a money-making scheme for Donald Trump, like every other money-making scheme for Donald Trump. Completely. Well, and, it's a double uh, thing for California because, Putting Devin Nunez in charge of it means that it will probably fail. But then we also got to not have Devin Nunez in our as our congressperson anymore. So it's a double win for California. Oh, no question mm-hmm. about it. No question about it. And he was one. He was one of the best Trump toadies that was in the Congress. And so now that he's gone, all I can say is um, goodbye, good riddance. Don't let it hit you and you're behind on the way out the door, as they say. So, so. But we were talking about kind of the sour mood in America. What's interesting is in watching various polls about what is on the minds of Americans right now, um, COVID is no longer, even with the Omicron, Omicron um, variant spreading like wildfire, fire, 
and there being, you know, 750,000 cases of, uh, average per day, um, that's not what's on their mind. First and foremost is the economy. And this is an interesting story because there's one economic marker that's not working for Americans, and that's the economy. Now, if anybody saw this morning the the um, uh, the, the inflation rate for last year, seven about seven, just under seven percent, it's the highest it's been since Ronald Reagan was president, and the the, the president and his economic team and and many outside economists all say that if we could get the Build Back Better plan or some version, some variant of it passed, um, we would definitely stop the inflation. And others are saying it, this is already the, the peak of the inflation. It's going to start going down, to which I say it better go down quick. But as an example, in the, um, in the poll put out by Politico and Morning Consult this morning, of all of the how many thousand people they polled, 40% listed the economy as their number one issue. Now, jobs are plentiful. The unemployment rate is the lowest it's been in, in, in more than 35 years. Um, wages are up. All of that is good stuff. Um, but if you get a 5% raise in your wages, and the cost of buying milk and bread and butter and eggs, not to mention gasoline, although that's on the way down. Clearly, it's dropped quite a bit in the last six weeks. Um, that, if you're in the lower end of the, the income spectrum, that really impacts you. So that's the first thing that's on people's minds. And depending which poll you look at, either security issues or, or health care issues, which I guess includes COVID, um, are the, sec is the number two issue. And then it follows into a whole bunch of other issues after that. Um, and from my perspective, and, I, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll start with uh, Georgine on this question, from my perspective, I think the, the Biden administration's biggest failure has been messaging, not not that they've done the wrong thing. It's it's been messaging. I mean, because they've created more jobs in one year. And of course, we say they created it. They didn't create any more, you know, personally create jobs any more than Trump did. But 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 occurred on their watch because of the circumstances they created. Um, outflank any other president of the United States at least since Lyndon Johnson. Over six million jobs created since Joe Biden became president. And yet, the number one concern is identified as the economy because of inflation. So, so Georgine, my take is it's more a messaging failure than anything else. And I know you've addressed that in the past. You, you brought that up in the past, I should say. What do you think now? I think that I, I'll say the book, I do agree with you. I think it's a messaging failure. But I also think, you know, Biden's administration has done some interesting things on the communication side in the sense that, you know, on some areas where they tread lightly, maybe they should have treaded with a big, with a, 
I won't say with a large blowhorn, but how about with a blowhorn at all? And then in other areas, they've, they've come out hard, which is fine and it's good. And I, and I get, I get the sensibility, the sense, the reasoning behind it. But I mean, you know, the number one thing people reelect you on is, are you doing a good job? And, and, and do the things that the decisions and choices the president makes impact my daily life? And if they cannot communicate those things, if they tread, choose to tread softly on those things for fear of, you know, um, the Trump, Trump-like individuals doing spin doctor things on those, I think they're going to be in trouble. Well, for the most part, I think they've tried to avoid doing the spin doctor thing. Although I must tell you, um, as much as I generally appreciate a lot of the stuff that comes out of the Biden communication shop, the statement they wrote for the president this morning, which attempts to attempts to paint um, attempts to paint this uh, economic this, this this inflation report. In, in a sort of glowing way, I think it's just, it's just ridiculous. Um, Rona, I'm going to ask you, and then and, and before we, we, we're down to the last minute and a half or so, so um, when we come back, Mo, I'm going to start on the redistricting topic and the and the House topic, and we'll, then we'll move into our other topics. But, but Rona, take a minute and tell us, what your thoughts are on um, the sour mood and what you're hearing, because you're out in a different sector and a different segment of society than most of us who live in a in the political sphere. What are you, what are you hearing? Yeah, I'm hearing that people are very discouraged. My demographic is, you know, 18 to 22 year old students who are just very, very fed up with their lives, with the economy, with with the kind of, with how education is working or not working for them. I, I think the mood is very sour. Um, I'm always trying to encourage critical thinking because as we've discussed before, when you tell people what's in the Build Back Better plan, they're all for it. And yet if you just ask them about it without talking about specifics, they're very sour about it. They're very, uh, very negative about it. And and I'm just always, in my demographic, trying to encourage critical thinking to get people to really look behind whatever the messaging is, because messaging is our responsibility, too. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We listen to what they put out, but we also have to look underneath and, and do some digging for ourselves. I think it's a two-way street. All right. And and as to your your cohort, your peer cohort, rather than your student cohort, is it the same? Yes. People are discouraged and demoralized. Unfortunately. Well, that 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 is most unfortunate because, you know, uh, certainly this president. Not, not that I'm on his payroll, but you know he's got he's got the biggest heart of anybody you could imagine, and um, their their plans and their work have been phenomenal. But you know circumstances are what circumstances are, isn't it? And it makes it it makes it rough, especially when you have an entire Republican Congress who would just as soon snuff your breath out as yeah. uh, give you a single win. In any case, I see that we're at about, uh, we're a little after 1230, so we must be time to go into the news break. So I will turn it over to Sam, our trusty engineer. Um, Sam, give us the headlines of whatever commercials you need to give us. This is Eric Bauman, host of the Uncommon Sense Democrat right here on NBC Radio, KCAA, FM 102.3 in Riverside. FM 106.5 in Redlands in San Bernardino. And we will be right back as soon as Sam is done with the news commercials station ID. Sam, take it away. This is KCAA. NBC News Radio, I'm Lisa Taylor. Attorney General Merrick Garland calls the January 6th Capitol attack an unprecedented assault on American democracy. That we at the Department of Justice will do everything in our power to defend the American people and American democracy. Garland addressed Justice Department employees on the eve of the first anniversary of the Capitol attack. President Biden will tour the damage left behind by the Boulder County's Marshall Fire during a visit to Colorado Friday. Last week, powerful winds fueled the wildfire in Superior and Louisville destroying nearly 1,000 structures and leaving hundreds without homes. Traffic is moving again after thousands of drivers were left stranded in their cars on Interstate 95 in Virginia. Transportation crews yesterday removed the last of those still stuck on the highway in the Fredericksburg area. No injuries or deaths had been reported. The nation's oldest living World War II veteran has died. Lawrence Brooks was 112 years old. He died Wednesday morning, according to his daughter and caregiver. Lisa Taylor, NBC News Radio. If you're a grape grower looking for reliable, effective weed control right now, you need Mission Herbicide. As the product of choice for countless vineyards, Mission controls grass, broadleaf, and sedge weeds in grapes by delivering both long-lasting pre-emergent and post-emergent control. Mission is absorbed through the foliage and roots of weeds for optimal control, even on glyphosate-resistant Italian ryegrass, yellow nut sedge, fillery, and other stubborn weed species. It's also a great tank mix partner to help you manage resistance. Mission is now even labeled for control of wild carrot and grapes. Other great advantages of Mission are its excellent crop tolerance and low application rates. Add it all up and you can see why long-lasting Mission is the one you want. Mission Herbicide is exclusively available from Helena Agri Enterprises and Tencos member companies. 
Always read and follow label directions. Miss your favorite show? Download the podcast at kcaaradio.com. KCAA Loma Linda. Attention Medicare recipients and anyone turning 65. Medicare has approved new benefits not included with original Medicare and older Medicare Advantage plans. You may not be getting all of the benefits you're entitled to, including in-home aids, telephone appointments with your doctors, home-delivered meals and prescriptions. These benefits may be available and it's a free call to enroll. The new plans may also offer free eyeglasses, free hearing aids, free wellness visits, and gym memberships. Call the Medicare Benefits Line now. It's easy. Call 800-518-2281. 800-518-2281. Find out if you're eligible for new benefits like meal and prescription delivery, in-home aids, and telemedicine. Some plans may have a $0 monthly premium or zero copays for big out-of-pocket savings. Not all Medicare Advantage plans are alike. The new plans have more benefits for many people. Call 800-518-2281-800-518-2281-800-518-2281. This is KCAA. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Eric Bauman, host of the Uncommon Sense Democrat, right here on NBC Radio, KCAA AM. 1050 in Loma Linda, FM 102.3 in Riverside, FM 106.5 in Redlands and San Bernardino. Available on kcaaradio.com and streaming on, oh, every streaming service you can imagine, but especially on Spotify. Don't forget to tune back in at 3 p.m. My regular show is on from 3 to 4 every Wednesday afternoon, and I'll be on today, and I have some great guests this afternoon. So I want to pivot to an entirely different topic. Um, and, th- and, and that is how we in California face the 2022 elections, especially for those of us who are Democrats, and what it all means. And while I know that Georgine has worked on, on local redistricting a lot, I don't know if she's worked much on state redistricting, I know Maureen has been greatly involved and done a bunch of analysis. So I'm going to turn it over to Maureen first to um, talk about her research and what what you've figured out. For California, right? We'll start with California. Well, what do you think? Do you think I care about New Jersey right now? So, okay, yeah, the last few months of of last year, I spent a lot of time on my computer watching these redistricting meetings in California, where we do have um, a commission that that, uh, went through all of the the census data and following the guidelines and the law drew the new lines for California, and that was finished um, at the end of December. And what it looks like for California is, you know, we lost four seats in California. in 2000, and I see at least three, I, three that I think with some some good hard work um, we can pick up. Um, it's funny we were talking about Devin Nunes a little while ago. His, his seat is sort of is kind of gone. Um, it was split up four ways, but as a result of that, the seat where uh, David Valadeo is, who's a Republican who narrowly won last time after narrowly losing. To TJ Cox, and that seat has gotten a little more democratic, and that seat is definitely doable. Hey, so that that one's there. Mo, m- 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 let me let me let me ask you one favor. 
geography or the ma you know a major city that's in the um, district, so folks know where we're talking about. Sure, sure, yeah, no problem. So as I was saying, this is you know these are the the Central Valley seats that uh, I was talking about. So in this district, in the in the new twenty second district, which again was previously uh, Devon and district, we are looking at um, you know Wasco, Shafter, Delano. It's got a more big, uh, more, more voters from Bakersfield now, so that's one of the, the Central Valley seats that we I think we can take back. Um, the next one is uh, the 27th, so that's in Santa Clarita. So many people know that with Katie Hills District, remember what happened with that unfortunate circumstance where we did get a Democrat in there and she resigned um, over a, like a various sort of scandals, um, and we now have a Republican there who only won by about 333 votes, even though Biden carried it by well over, I think, 30,000 votes. So, and that seat um, previously had this little bit of Simi Valley, uh, which was one of the areas that was cut out, and now that that area is out, it's actually more blue. So we definitely have an opportunity there to pick that seat back up. And uh, we'll, we'll, you know, after the primary, we'll figure out who's gonna uh, who's gonna be the Democrat there. But that's definitely one we can do. Um, another one we can do is in uh, Orange County. We have uh, we have this seat where Katie Porter previously was was mostly over in the Irvine area. And what happened is that district was redrawn, and a lot of what was Republican Michelle Steele district is now part of this district that's combined with Irvine. And of course, Katie, Katie Porter has uh, $14 million, I think, last time I checked. She's just doing amazing. And I think Michelle Steele wisely took a look at that district um, that she still lives in and decided to move inland and go into another district. So Katie Porter's, uh, well, actually, Katie Porter's is probably going to be okay in this new seat. But um, so that's good. But the, the, the third seat is effectively this new seat that Michelle is going to be running in. It's kind of a new district. It was made up of three other districts, and it's got in it Cerritos, Buena Park, Westminster, Fountain Valley. It's kind of this C-shaped district, and uh, there's a lot of folks in there she hasn't represented before, and she's going to be running against um, Jay Chen, I believe, who's going to be challenging her. And so, you know, that's a district where we have a registration advantage of about three points of Democrats in this new district. So that's going to be one that we can we can take back to. And there's some other seats I looked at as well. But basically, uh, this Valadeo seat, um, we can take back. We can take back the 27th, that's the Santa Clarita seat. And this new seat that Michelle Steele is running in, I think we can get a Democrat in there as well. So before we run out of time and, we're getting, and we, we need to soon get on to another topic, I want to hear about, and I don't care if you cover this or if Georgine covers this because I know you both probably have expertise in this. Since the bulk of our listening audience is either in Riverside or San Bernardino counties, I know there's been a lot of mashing around of districts, of congressional districts in those areas, in, in, in these areas, the Inland Empire areas. Um, which one of you wants to tackle that and try to tell us what's happening so that our so that our listening audience will have a sense of uh, where they're at. Georgine, you wanna you wanna take that? I'll start. 
can start with some of it and then we can kind of go from there. The things that I'm aware of anyway um, is uh, Senator, I'll start at the Senate level real quick on some of the Senate assembly because obviously this impacts the congressional moves on some level. Um, in San Bernardino forward, Norma Torres is fine and she will hold her seat. Um, however, on the level, there's the, the force has been disturbed. Uh, Connie Leva set the seat loose. She was drawn out of her seat. And so now she's moving around trying to figure out where to land. In Riverside County, that's one of the big upheavals in San Bernardino County that everybody's talking about right now. Um, up in the high desert, there's um, the conversation around Wilkesy, but it's kind of just, it, there's, it, is, it is what it is. There's not a lot of upheaval there. It's one of the few conversations I've had about that. And then if you go into Riverside County, um, that race is going to get, the congressional race there is going to get real, real interesting because it's already rumored that um, Assemblymember Chad Mays, who will run as an independent, is looking at that seat and that potentially the, that congressional seat um, that has been drawn in and potentially, um, uh, I can't remember her name, but she's Republican, uh, Latina, she may be the challenger. So that could be an interesting- Oh, uh, uh, Michelle Melendez. Yeah. Michelle Melendez. Yeah. So that could also mean revolving seats at the assembly and Senate level. So um, the Inland Empire is going to have some interesting um, campaigns across the board in both regions um, at, at every level of government as people are figuring out what their next job is going to be. But I do want to go back real quick, and I'll make it really fast. Hey, Mo, that, that high desert seat, that uh, Palmdale to Simi Valley seat, or the Palmdale yeah. to Camp Stand you're welcome. I worked really, really hard on that one. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I worked on Great. statewide, Eric. I did work on statewide. Okay, I yeah, thought I'm you. Were, at, I thought yeah. all your. I, I, I thought all your stuff was local. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, you notice I'm not including Rona so much in this discussion because this is not part of her, um, her performance aspect, uh, redistricting and. I wouldn't want to. She, Rona's my friend for a long time, and I don't want to make her crazy with redistricting because I myself, who who kind of been an expert in this for many years, it's like I'm losing my mind with it. So I don't want to make her lose her mind too. Um, <laughs> I'm not losing my mind. I'm really happy to hear the information about Katie Porter. I'm a big fan there, and also very happy to hear the information about Santa Clarita, which is a place where I feel like I could go do some boots on the ground kind of work and make a difference. So I'm really happy to do that. Yeah. So, so, so the question I have to ask Mo and or Georgine, first of all, is Raul Ruiz safe? And second of all, is Mark Takano safe? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, so I'm looking at... I. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Mo. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, it looks like I was looking at Takano, and um, 
let's see, I have the 39th is rated solid Democrat. I'm looking at a, a summary that somebody did looking at, um, I think it's the Cooper Report or it's taken from the Cooper Report. That's considered solid Democrat. And then I believe we have the 23rd, which, which is um, Jay Obernolte, which is San Bernardino County, Victorville, has Victorville and Hysteria in it. That's considered solid Republican. So, right. yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a Trump uh, 10 plus seat. So, you know, Republican. And then Dr. Ruiz is solid, and Raul Ruiz is, is considered solid Democrat as well. He's at the Inland Empire, Palm Springs, Imperial County. Uh, yeah, Biden four, plus 14 to 15. Yeah. That's VRA safe. We fought really hard to keep that VRA tight and hard and together. Yeah. So, so, so I want to I want to move off of this topic, but I want to ask Georgine because I know she's always been engaged in this. In terms of redistricting done at the county and major city levels in yeah. Riverside and San Bernardino, um, is it better yeah. or worse for Democrats and for Latinos who really should have gained in this, but I think we're I think we're hamstrung by the fact that of the way that the bite uh, the, um, the, the the Trump Commerce Committee or Commerce Department, I should say, not committee, um, the way they tried to prevent um, Latinos and other people of color from actually, you know, getting access to their census. So, so having said that. And, and before anybody calls or writes or texts me and threatens me, I'll be happy to explain to you what I meant by that later on the three o'clock show, perhaps. But um, uh, it's a fact and it's obvious. So, so Georgine, is there anything we should know about local redistricting that, um, you know, take a minute or two and, and tell us about yeah. it? Well, I'll, I'll start with Riverside. I think in Riverside, it's where... Uh, redistricting where the Latino community benefits the most as far as change is concerned. Um, Supervisor Jeff Hewitt was solidly, I wouldn't say it was solidly red because it wasn't, but it was it was a viable red seat. It's no longer a viable red seat. It is a viable blue seat. And in fact, at this time, um, the, the powers that be in the region are looking to Mayor Exion um, out of Moreno Valley as one potential candidate to run for supervisor, which would give two credit seats on the Board of Supervisors for Riverside County, which is, that's a big change for Riverside County. In San Bernardino County, um, as we've discussed, that that region is going, going blue solidly with time. Um, I think it's a different dynamic, right? where Riverside is more partisan politics. San Bernardino has always had kind of its old town charm where it's more about relationships than it is about politics um, at the local level. And so what I think we're going to see, at least in this next go around, is kind of traditional San Bernardino, which is, hey, have you served the people well? Uh, maybe you have an arm, maybe it's beyond your name, but it's more about are you serving the people well? Are you going to be a good candidate across the board? Because for the most part, most of the people in the middle, even if they have an arm behind them. So that's what so, my prediction is. Now. So what, one, one last question on, on this, Virgin. Um, are the Democratic seats on San Bernardino County Board of Supervisors 
still safe, as, as such as it was yeah. wherever it's so safe. Far, well, there's only two. So there's one Democratic seat. There's two. There's one solid Democratic seat and two potential Democratic seats. But what you're running into is there aren't any Democratic candidates that, well, one of them, there's no Democratic candidate that has the, the backing or the name ID to, any, to make a difference, which is Janice Rutherford's seat. Um, that is the seat that's key to go blue, but there isn't a Democrat that is viable to run and win. So you're going to have um, a more Republican-like candidate running that Democrats are going to try and work with. Um, okay. Is ready to go blue. It's ready to go blue, but what you have there, and there potentially could be a viable Democrat running against him. However, what you have is a supervisor that has done all the right things. Came home, didn't get into the partisanship, walked, walked to the and put their head down and did the job. So they haven't pissed anybody off. You know what I mean? So right. are you are you going to see a next go around um, Democrats, you know, walk through both San Bernardino and Riverside County and change the faces of those boards? Probably not because either not having viability or having a an incumbent that's just done the job. Um, that's right. Really in Riverside County, All right. you will see all right, so so let me pivot because we're 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 down to about uh, seven or eight minutes of time left, and I want to get to at least one, if not two, more of our topics. Um, Rona, I'm going to ask you when uh, Kamala Harris was uh, selected to be Joe Biden's running mate. I know you were very excited about it, both because she was a woman and because she was uh, African-American and, and, or, uh, and Indian. And um, she's gotten a shaft. She's gotten the harshest press coverage, whether she deserved it or not. The, the, the scrutiny of her has been extraordinary compared to the attention they pay to most vice presidents. And I believe that's in part because President Biden um, in in 2024 will be 82 years old, and um, they fear he won't. The media postulates that he won't run again, and so that puts Harris as, as next in line. But it's also been unfair because she's a woman, and she's a woman of color. So, how do you feel a year in, almost a year in? How do you feel she's done as vice president? What do you feel about? the criticism you see and you hear on television and on the internet and everywhere, Rona? I do feel that the criticism is harsher than it would be if she were a man. She's been given very difficult jobs to do. I think she's working hard. We don't know everything that she's doing. The, the problem is that, that she's been given to solve our problems that this administration inherited. Um, I do feel like she's gotten a lot of bad press. I would love to see her be more vocal and stand up for herself a little bit more. I, I know that she has been attempting to do that. I know that she herself has said that some of the criticism is, is 
gender-based. And, and as much as I believe that that's true, I'm not always sure it's helpful for her to say it. Um, but it's true. And I think she just has so, to keep doing what she's doing, working hard. I think it's all going to so, shift in the next year. And as the one as the one person on this on this hour who is not a political pro but rather more of a normal person more of a normal person and thank god for that <laughs> um are are you, do you how are you feeling how what just out of curiosity what letter grade would you give her from your vantage point and then i'm going to turn to mo with a slightly different variant of this. I would give her a B, and I and I would think of her as one of those B students who's struggling and is definitely going to get there in the end. So, so Mo, let me ask you. Now, they they clearly have cleared house of her communication shop. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> they brought in a new team, and they've immediately changed the style with which she's approaching the press and what she, what work she's she's choosing to emphasize now and 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 how she should be packaged and unfortunately it's unfortunate to say we have to talk about packaging a president or a vice president but it's kind of a reality uh, yeah. since public approval is so important what what do you think about the whole repackaging, and do you think it was necessary? Do you think it was the right thing to do? Do you think it will help? Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. I mean, it, it remains to be seen. You know that you know there there have been there have been press reports about you know a lot of high turnover in in her her staffing and bringing new people on to sort of help change direction. So it remains to be seen, but I just think she fundamentally has such a hard job because, you know, she can't really upstage the president, but it, she's got these two issues that she's supposed to be working on, which are really hard to define success as well. You have this immigration issue and, you know, making somebody responsible for what other people are doing in other countries is hard, even even if it's completely true that we are a part of the root causes of all that. It's, it's extremely difficult. And then this voting rights thing, um, you know, she's getting some flack over not doing enough. And I just see two senators right now that aren't going to move. Um, and I'm not sure what she or anybody else is going to be able to do about it. So I think she's really kind of between a rock and a hard place. And I, I, I you know, I wish success to this person who's now in charge of, of her communication and I'm, you know, I'll be optimistic and so forth, but I just think she's got a really hard job. And yes, there is the unfair. Some of this criticism is absolutely, I think, unfair, but I think it's, it's that's, that's one aspect. There's a lot of other things that are making it difficult for her. Georgine, as, as a, as a, as a woman of color who doesn't generally use that uh, as an, as um, an excuse for anything, never stopped you as long as I've known you um, take a quick take a quick 45 seconds and tell me what your thoughts are about this whole thing I think that personally I think that if she didn't think that it was going to be harder for her, that's unfortunate because as a woman of color let's take the first one as a woman 
the first woman in the number two seat. It was they weren't going. No one was going to make it easy. Number one, and then number two, you add the diversity issue to it. It, it, it wasn't going to be easy. And I, 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 I hear her and I feel for her and I want her to step up and do the best she can. And I say shame on those that have surrounded themselves around her who are not looking out for the fact that this is the beginning of opportunity for women to finally take the two highest seats in the country. Um, and stop, you know, it, it's time for us to hold hands and, and make this work. So that's why I'm up with it. Well, I'll just I'll just say this. Um, um, I think that there have long been <clears throat> complaints. I think those complaints are often, quite frankly, gender based, even more than even more than color based. And I think she's got a great deal of potential and. I I hope and expect she'll live up to it. And I want to say thank you to my guests, Professor Rona Blaker and political consultants, Georgine Trujillo and Maureen Irwin. This is Eric Bauman, host of the Uncommon Sense Democrat, right here on NBC Radio KCAA, AM 1050, FM 106.3, FM 106.5. Sam, play our exit music. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.